KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Friday, March 4th. Care courts for those with severe mental illnesses. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. As gas prices continue to rise, there's been more calls to suspend the state gas tax. A bill pending in the state legislature would suspend the gas tax for six months if approved. Local civil rights advocate Shane Harris has also asked the governor to declare a state of emergency to suspend the 51 cent per gallon gas tax for 90 days. It's about those everyday people that I'm thinking about in the urban inner city who will struggle every time they go to the pump. USD economist Alan Jin says suspending the gas tax would have the effect of adding $50 million a month back into the local economy. San Diego County public health officials reported 772 new COVID-19 cases on Thursday and 11 additional deaths. The average positivity test rate fell just slightly, down to 5.2% from 5.7 as of last Friday. Hospitalizations also continued to decline, down by 26 to a total of 391. San Diego County has launched a new outreach program to raise awareness about the exploitation of boys by sex traffickers. It aims to improve support for male victims. The campaign will include messaging on social media, radio, billboards, and bus transit posters. County officials say national studies find that as many as half of commercially sexually exploited children in the U.S. are boys, and that the sexual exploitation of boys is underreported. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. California Governor Gavin Newsom wants to make it easier to force people with severe mental illnesses into long-term treatment. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says the mayor of San Diego is on board. Newsom is proposing a bill that would create so-called care courts in every county across California. People suffering from debilitating psychosis could be brought before a judge and forced into a long-term mental health treatment plan, and the county would be required to pay for it. Newsom says the state will step up its support so local governments aren't left with the bill. If the budget's approved this year, we will have support specifically for 33,000 new beds and placements, clinically supported new beds and placements. Some mental health experts have been wary of expanding the state's ability to force people into treatment. But San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria says the status quo is not working. For far too long, government at every level has allowed individuals who struggle with mental illness and addiction to languish untreated on our streets, cycling between our jails and emergency rooms with little hope of ever getting the care that they truly and desperately need. 
State officials expect between 7 and 12,000 people would be eligible for forced mental health treatment under the program. That's a small minority of the state's homeless population, although the severely mentally ill are often the most visible among homeless Californians. The governor hopes the plan can win approval from state lawmakers by June, with the rollout targeted for January. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News. A new study finds San Diego's regional climate action plans don't call for enough change to meet the county's greenhouse gas reduction goals. The Energy Policy Initiative Center at the University of San Diego worked on the study. KPBS's Maureen Cavanaugh spoke with the director of the center, Scott Anders. Here's that interview. Based on our analysis of the current climate action plans in the region, we are not on track to get to those targets. So how far away would we be then if we just stuck to what, what the goals are now? Well, what we found is looking at the commitments of reductions in the current caps gets us relatively few reductions uh, in the bigger scheme. And then we also did another scenario where we said, well, what if we take the best measures, kind of the ones that get the most impact from all the climate action plans and apply them to the entire region? What would that get us? And that gets us significantly more reductions, but still leaves a significant amount of remaining emissions to be addressed. And what are the areas of most concern, the biggest sources of emissions in the county? Yeah, the largest source by far is transportation or or cars and trucks, basically. So that accounts for some 45% or so of emissions. And then from there, electric and natural gas represent another, say, 20 plus percent. And so those categories, those three really energy categories, if you think of it more broadly, so cars and trucks, uh, electricity, natural gas account for a very significant portion of overall emissions in our region. Now, does the report or your section of it offer any ideas on how the county could meet its net zero goal? What we do in the report is we do three separate but related analysis. First, we looked at the authority that local jurisdictions have to influence or regulate greenhouse gas emissions. Second, we reviewed all the climate action plans in the region to kind of find out, you know, who's doing what and what are the similarities or differences between and among climate action plans. And then finally, and I referenced it earlier, is we did this kind of estimate of what would the greenhouse gas emissions impacts be of all of the climate action plans in aggregate. And that's the first time we've done that in our region. So that was kind of a, an interesting endeavor. But from there, we then very specifically dove into the four different decarbonization pathways that are addressed in the other chapters of the technical report. And that includes decarbonizing electricity, buildings, transportation. And then also we looked at natural natural climate solutions. So this would be like the ability for trees to uh, remove and store carbon or other ways of removing carbon. Well, to that point, on an even larger scale, the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change issued an alarming report recently. It urged nations to drastically reduce emissions to stop oncoming climate disaster. Are you presenting a regional report like this with the same sense of urgency? Well, I think, again, the assumed goal for our regional decarbonization framework project is net zero by mid-century. And so that really is uh, reflective of the broader goals set out by the, uh, the IPCC, who looked at many scenarios of emissions. And the only scenario to keep global temperatures at or below 1.5 degrees Celsius 
was the scenario that reached net zero by mid-century and actually then went net negative thereafter. And so net zero by 2045 is really the new North Star that is guiding our climate action planning in our region, in California, and, and you know, in the U.S. and beyond. Do you know what the county is planning to do with the recommendations in this report? My understanding is that the, the next step in the process, so the regional decarbonization framework, broadly speaking, includes three elements. One is the technical report, which our uh, chapter we're discussing here today, um, and that was, that was released uh, recently. There's also a, a workforce development piece, and that report actually, I believe, was, re- was released just yesterday. And then the final piece is looking more at some implementation pathways um, about how to kind of move forward in this, this regional framework. And that was Scott Anders with the Energy Policy Initiative Center at the University of San Diego, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Cavanaugh. A recent state audit condemned San Diego County jails for seeing 185 in-custody deaths over 15 years. KPBS race and equity reporter Christina Kim says a new study is calling for stronger law enforcement oversight. San Diegans for Justice helped establish the city of San Diego's Commission on Police Practices. Now, it's taking on the county Citizens Law Enforcement Review Board, or CLRB, which oversees the Sheriff and Probation Department. The group released a study that outlines how CLRB can become more independent and effective. Andrea St. Julian, the group's co-chair, says the most important step is expanding its jurisdiction beyond sheriff deputies. For CLRB to be limited to only uh, investigating alleged wrongdoings by uh, deputies is really too limiting. CLRB should be able to investigate complaints against all staff. The state audit last month also found CLRB failed to investigate nearly one-third of in-custody deaths. CLRB will review the new report's recommendations next week. Christina Kim, KPBS News. Coming up, how San Diegans are helping civilians in Ukraine who are defending their country. We'll have that story and more just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. Activists in Mexico are criticizing the lack of transparency surrounding the murder cases of two Tijuana journalists. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis explains why big announcements of arrests in Mexico mean less than you might think. Last month, Mexican authorities announced the arrest of three men suspected in the killing of Lourdes Maldonado. And last week, 10 men were arrested in connection to the death of Margarito Martinez. But not much else has been made public in either case. Prosecutors have not said what evidence they have, what the motives were, or what weapons were used in the fatal shootings of the two Tijuana journalists. Reporters have been barred from covering the proceedings and court documents have not been made public. 
Local reporter Sonia de Anda says that the public is being kept in the dark. La verdad es que nos tienen, nos tienen en ciego. 98% of all violent crimes in Mexico are never prosecuted. Activists who track violence against the press in Mexico say there's a repeated pattern of authorities announcing big arrests and then nothing happens. De Anda says that the lack of transparency in both cases does not inspire confidence that justice will be served. No, no, no. Definitivamente no nos genera ningún tipo de confianza. Gustavo Solís, KPBS News. Donations of cash, military gear, and even bicycle helmets have been pouring into the House of Ukraine in Balboa Park. Those donations will be sent to help Ukrainian civilians defend themselves against the Russian invasion. KPBS reporter Katie Alvarado says every donation is accepted with a hug. I prayed over this hat. Whoever gets it, I pray that they'll be safe. Derek Morris was moved to donate a military-grade helmet and goggles by the images of ordinary people in Ukraine defending their country. You see people standing in the street in front of vehicles with no protection. He brought them to the House of Ukraine, one of the international cottages at Balboa Park, where an effort is underway to help those staying behind in a country being shelled and bombed by Russia around the clock. Volunteers at the House say they especially want gently used military-grade body armor, boots, and helmets. Donations given from the heart. Well, this one's prayed over. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for the help. Do and accepted with love for Ukraine. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. And one more story before you go. This Saturday, the Comic-Con Museum will hold a series of panels about the life and legacy of American cartoonist and comics legend Will Eisner. The series is called Will Eisner Week, and it comes from a partnership between the museum and the Will and Anne Eisner Family Foundation. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando has more. Will Eisner is a pioneer of graphic storytelling. He started in comics in the 1930s, created the character of the spirit, and published the groundbreaking graphic novel A Contract with God in 1978. This Saturday, Comic-Con Museum will host a day of panels dedicated to his legacy as part of Will Eisner Week. Jackie Estrada has been running Comic-Con's Will Eisner Comic Industry Awards since 1990 and is hosting one of the panels. My panel I call and now for something completely different, because it is about Will Eisner's vision for what could be done with the graphic storytelling comics medium. He felt that we're just scratching the surface on the things you could do with words and pictures. And I have three panelists, we'll all be in person, who were judges for the Eisner Awards last year. And what we're going to each talk about is works that we think really Will would have been excited about because of the things that they do exploring the comics medium. A fantastic book that I'm going to be talking about is Mr. Invincible, which is uh, his superpower is that he can move around on a comic book page. So he can go down a rope from the top panel to the bottom panel, pick something up and bring it back up to the top in order to beat up a criminal or whatever. 
Will Eisner Week is an annual international event celebrating Eisner as well as comics, free speech, sequential art, and graphic novel literacy. Its goal is to get library schools and organizations to inspire people to pick up a graphic novel and read it. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. And that's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. This podcast is produced by KPBS senior radio producer Brooke Ruth and me, Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful weekend. KPBS On Demand is supported by the National Conflict Resolution Center. Topics like political polarization and hybrid work policies can create workplace conflict. NCRC can help workplace leaders navigate divisive issues with the culture, communication, and conflict certificate. More at ncrconline.com.